Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I am Coach Manaman. Thank you for listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. For the latest news and notes and baseball content from the tri-state area, find us on social media, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Coach Manaman on Twitter. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman, and often on social media, I will look for episode input and episode ideas. And ever since the podcast started a little over a year ago, John Pregler, his name has always come through my inbox. And I've watched a lot of his works and I've read a lot of his works, but I wasn't sure at the time of getting John's name if this would be something that people would gravitate to and, and people would would listen. And after asking about five or six times, looking for episode ideas, his name has been sent to me every single time. And it's my honor to introduce and welcome to the show John Pregler, who is a Dubuque baseball historian. John, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Hi, Coach. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much for your show and your Facebook uh, uh, page uh, and all the postings you do, keeping people up to date with what's going on in the tri-state area uh, related to baseball. It's great. Thanks. It's been fun. It started out as a pandemic hobby, and it's it's kind of caught on. Now, I recently watched a video of you where you were doing a presentation about an exhibit and the history of Dubuque baseball. There's currently an exhibit at the National River Museum going on. Can you tell us the dates for that and what people might expect if they want to get some visuals of the ideas that we're talking about where they can see that at sure well the exhibit is called hometown home runs and it's sponsored by the dubuque county historical society at the national mississippi river museum and aquarium at the port of dubuque the exhibit has been extended now uh, uh because of its popularity and because of the august field of dreams game through the end of the year so it's in the main building with the big paddle wheel. So when you go in and you first uh, uh, check in to tour the museum, uh, the display will meet you once you get inside the doors. Uh, the display has a, a wide range of artifacts and information regarding Dubuque baseball history. Uh, it includes old uniforms, the old woolen uniforms worn in 1903 on hot July days that make you wonder how people could stand it. You get to see some of the old mitts and gloves and caps and some baseball bats. And there's also photographs and images of different past uh, uh, Dubuque minor league baseball teams, uh, pennants from the Dubuque uh, professional uh, athletic field known as Petrakis Park, and then a timeline of Dubuque's rich baseball history. Uh, and when I say rich baseball history, I'm talking about national 
baseball history. Uh, uh, and you can throw in names like Babe Ruth and Charlie Comiskey uh, uh, into that mix uh, when you talk about Dubuque, Dubuqueers, and national baseball history. It also gives us a sense of where some of the baseball fields were in Dubuque over the, the last 150 years that played a role in Dubuque's rich baseball history. John, I'm glad that that got extended because when I heard you speak and do the presentation, you had mentioned that it was going to be gone in the middle of September. So it will be extended to the end of the year of 2021. I've gone down myself and, and saw it and, and it's it not only is a river museum great, but you add a baseball element to it, it makes it um, worthwhile to go down and visit it for the first time if you haven't or revisit it if you've gone down there many times. Now, John, we know Dubuque has a rich history of baseball. You mentioned some huge names that some people might say are the biggest names in baseball, but what is the history of Dubuque baseball prior to when we had the minor leagues in Dubuque? Sure. Well, the, the history of baseball in Dubuque, Iowa, between really 1860 and 1930, helped produce no less than three major league Hall of Famers, six major league team owners, six major league player managers, five managers, and over 30 major league ball players. Two of the three key founding fathers of the American League have history with Dubuque capturing over eight major league pennants, including three World Series before 1930. Their history is American baseball history, and it, it led sports writers to refer to Dubuque as an early cradle of baseball. Uh, and it ultimately gave rise, when you connect the dots, to the Field of Dream and a Sea of Corn west of the city of Dubuque in western Dubuque County. Now, what would the history of the minors be? So when did professional baseball make its way to Dubuque? And we know that there was a professional team here by the name of the, the Dubuque Packers. Did we have a team prior to the Dubuque Packers that was involved in professional baseball? Yes, Dubuque actually had the fourth ever professional baseball league created. Uh, when you consider that in today's terms, there's literally been hundreds and hundreds, if not over a thousand baseball leagues created uh, throughout the world, many being professional. And Dubuque in 1879 established the fourth ever professional baseball league. Uh, and it was established by Ted Sullivan of Dubuque. Uh, and Ted Sullivan brought his college buddy, Charlie Comiskey, to Dubuque to work for him in a newsstand business he ran and also to play baseball for him on his Dubuque Rabbits team in 1878. Uh, in 1879, they created the Professional Northwest League. Uh, and... Uh, there were, I believe, six or seven individuals off that team that went on to play in the major leagues, including two Hall of Famers, uh, Charlie Comiskey, uh, as well as Charles Haas Radburn, who was the greatest pitcher of the 19th century. Uh, I believe Haas started like 76 of 89 games one season for his team. That's back when uh, your starting nine start and played the entire game. 
game, including your pitcher. And I believe one year he even won 60 games, which is just mind-blowing by today's standards. Uh, you don't even see a pitcher finish a game, let alone have an opportunity to win 60 in a season. That's pretty remarkable. You know, we the standard now is a 20-game winner. To think back then we had a 60-game winner. Now, tell us about the Dubuque Packers. When were they formed? Where, where did they play? And we'll get into some of the big names that, that came through Dubuque a little bit later. But what can you tell us about the Dubuque Packers? Sure. Well, the, the Dubuque Packers uh, really got started... Uh, uh, in the 1950s. So we had a hiatus uh, or an absence of professional baseball between 1932 and 1954. Uh, and in 1954, uh, Charlie Comiskey Jr., or Charlie Comiskey II, I should say, uh, uh, had uh, started his uh, uh, uh of affiliated franchise, uh, the Dubuque Packers, here in Dubuque for the Chicago White Sox. And it was part of the Mississippi-Ohio Valley League. Uh, and it, it existed in 1954 and 1955. And it was part of the Class D structure of the minor leagues at the time, which uh, in the early 1960s would go to the AAA, AA, single A uh, classification. And Dubuque would have been considered a Class A a ball club uh, by those standards. Uh, and then in uh, 1956, uh, the uh, debut Packers jumped leagues, uh, jumped over to the Midwest League, which we were in from 1956 to 1968. Uh, but the, the, the debut Packers were first affiliated with the Chicago White Sox from that 1854 uh, to 1858 time frame. And we saw a couple uh, uh, impressive players come through, not only impressive in the play here in Dubuque, but impressive in what they did in the major leagues as they ascended. Uh, the first one was Grover Jones, and Grover's nickname was Deacon Jones, uh, and not the Deacon Jones of football fame, uh, but in 1956, uh, uh, Grover Deacon Jones was the last professional baseball player uh, in the 20th century uh, 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 for about four decades to hit 400. He was the last person since Ted Williams to hit 400 up to that point and all the way up till 1999 when a, a young man uh, in a, 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 a New Mexico uh, league ended up uh, batting over 400 for the season, I believe with two different teams. But uh, uh, Deacon Jones was first baseman and second baseman for the Packers in 56, and he went 135 for 330, batting 409. Uh, so he got national attention there uh, and ended up going up to the majors for a little while. Didn't have a, a real big major league career or impressive career. Uh, but uh, the next year, the team had two individuals that were on the team, uh, J.C. Martin, who was a catcher, and Gary Peters, who was a pitcher. 
And J.C. Martin would go on uh, to have a fairly long major league career, and he played for the New York Mets in uh, the 1969 World Series for the Amazing Mets. So he caught people like Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver uh, later on in his career, but he caught Gary Peters uh, in Dubuque in 1957, and Peters would go on to be the American League Rookie of the Year in 1963, and he was a two-time All-Star and a two-time uh, uh, league ERA leader. Uh, and uh, after uh, 1958, then, the Packers changed affiliations. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons why teams would change affiliation, uh, financing, uh, uh, other changes in minor league structure within the major league team, uh, uh, conditions of, of the minor league ballpark definitely played into the Dubuque Packers uh, uh, later in the 60s. Uh, but in 1959, the, the Packers became affiliated with the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, for two seasons, the 1959 and 1960 season. And they had a couple people that went on to the major leagues uh, from, from the team. A couple all-stars, actually. Uh, Gene Alley uh, played in Dubuque in 1959 uh, at second base, third base, and shortstop. He was a, a two-time a gold glove, two-time all-star, and won uh, the 1971 World Series. Uh, uh, and Steve uh, Blass in 1960, who was a pitcher, was a, a one-time All-Star and also uh, won the 1971 World Series as a teammate with Gene Alley uh, for the, the uh, uh, Midwest debut Packers there for the, the Pittsburgh Pirate organization. You've mentioned the last name Comiskey a couple times. Now, would that be any relation to the family that owned Comiskey Park where the Chicago White Sox used to play? It is one and the same. So Charlie Comiskey, uh, who was a, 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 a player, captain, manager of the St. Louis Browns, a four-time pennant winner and World Series champion, uh, ended up becoming a baseball magnet, as they were called, ended up buying the St. Paul Saints in the Western League. And when the Western League became the American League in 1900, uh, the St. Paul Saints became the Chicago White Sox. And Charlie had then built in 1910, I believe it was, Comiskey Park. Uh, Charlie married a Dubuque woman. Uh, uh, Dubuque was Charlie's adopted home for over a decade, from uh, 1878 to about 1890, 1891, or most of his professional playing career. Charlie Comiskey considered Dubuque, Iowa, his home and would always uh, return to Dubuque. So Comiskey Park here in Dubuque uh, was named during Charlie Comiskey's lifetime for Comiskey. It was named after him in 1920. Uh, because that was the location that the 1879 Dubuque Rabbits uh, uh, played the first uh, uh, season of the Northwest League, uh, which was the first professional baseball league in Dubuque and the, the fourth professional baseball league ever. Uh, so that's very historic ground there. Uh, a lot of uh, Hall of Famers uh, from the 1800s played there. A uh, lot of uh, uh, 
uh, people like Bud Fowler, the great African-American ball player who should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he came to Dubuque several times and played on that field. People like George Wright, King Kelly, Cap Anson, and John Montgomery Ward, all Hall of Famers, all played on that ball field. And then you had black ball teams that would come and play white ball clubs on that field in the 1800s, uh, which was uh, somewhat unheard of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, all happened there at 24th and Jackson uh, Street in Dubuque uh, at Comiskey Park. Uh, it was known during its heyday from 1879 when it was first built as a ball stadium there uh, to its end in 1892 as Baseball Park. That was the thing that really stood out to me the most when I saw you do your presentation of Dubuque baseball was that field. And I posted a picture on my different social medias and, and it drove a lot of questions. Some of them you've already answered, but um, Drew Kleesner and Tyler Ernstson, they were wondering when that uh, stadium was built and then when it was tore down. And you've already answered uh, where it was located at, but um, I, I did see- Actually it. coach, yeah. th that's incorrect. That image is not Comiskey Park. That okay. image has long be been believed to be Comiskey Park. I have had an uh, uh, uneasiness about that for over two decades uh, and have finally solved it. Uh, that park was uh, the successor to Baseball Park or what we know as Comiskey Park at 24th Street. Uh, everybody believed that the church in the background was Sacred Heart. Uh, and that the tracks would have been the tracks on Washington Street or the trolley tracks on Jackson Street. But when you look uh, at the church, uh, it's not the Sacred Heart steeples, and there's hills in the background. And when you uh, go to Comiskey Park and you look towards Sacred Heart, there are no hills visible. Uh, what I had discovered was that was League Park at 27th and Washington Street, which was built to succeed baseball park at 24th and, and Jackson street. Uh, so it, it, it's a different ballpark. It was at 20, uh, it was uh, 27th street and uh, Washington, I should say, not Jackson uh, between Washington and Elm street today. Clower manufacturing, a large building sits on that lot right there at the corner. Uh, but that was actually built in 1895 by Tom Loftus uh, with help from Charlie Comiskey. Uh, Tom Loftus and Charlie Comiskey and Ted Sullivan uh, really are, are, are three gentlemen who help drive the development of professional baseball throughout America uh, from 1879, really to the founding of the American League in, in 1900. Uh, and I wrote an article for the Society for American Baseball Research, or SABRE, uh, and their baseball research journal called Tom Loftus, the American League's Forgotten Founding Father. So if you go to sabr.org and you search Tom Loftus, the article will come up. And it's about Tom Loftus and Charlie Comiskey and Ban Johnson and their founding of the American League. Uh, and a lot of those meetings occurred in Dubuque. But Tom Loftus and Charlie Comiskey, who were on the 1879 Dubuque Rabbits, and, and uh, Tom Loftus lived his entire life in Dubuque and is buried here, uh, they uh, uh, both owned teams in the Western League uh, and, and 
uh, Loftus wanted to build a new stadium here in Dubuque for his his new teams he was creating. Uh, And so uh, uh, him and Comiskey built that in 1895, and the very first game was between the Dubuque Dubs uh, and the St. Paul Saints, Charlie Comiskey's team of the Western League, uh, which came down here and and played on that field. Uh, And then people like Red Faber, Hall of Famer, uh, born in Cascade, played his first professional uh, uh, games in Dubuque, Iowa played on that field. Uh, so did Joe Cantlin, who was uh, the manager of rookie Walter Johnson when he came into the major leagues in 1907 for the Washington Senators, which, by the way, Tom Loftus used to own in 1902 and 1903 and manage. Uh, so there's just this rich history, but that ball field specifically and that image has always been misidentified as Comiskey Park and is actually league park or league field at 27th street and, and, and Washington. And that's where the, the, uh, minor leagues, uh, three I league team first started in 1903 here in Dubuque when Dubuque first joined the three I league. Thanks for clearing that up. Cause that photo generated a lot of buzz and, and a lot of good conversations. The one thing that frustrates me when I saw that picture is it looked like an unbelievable, beautiful professional field that looks very similar to what you might see in Waterloo where the Waterloo Bucks play and where you might see the Clinton Lumber Kings play. And I'm like, if we only had that there, that footprint there still, maybe we could do some upgrades and entice a professional team to to come and and play in Dubuque in, in the modern era. Who were some of the big names that you have yet mentioned have not yet mentioned that have come through Dubuque that played in the professional ranks. I know that I have one in the top of my head that I've heard you talk about before. Famous manager who anybody listening to this will recognize the name who does have quite a few World Series rings on his fingers. Sure, and he came a little later, but I assume you're talking about Bruce Bochy, who played in Dubuque for the Dubuque Packers when they were affiliated with the Houston Astros in 1976. And Bruce went on then to play professionally with the Astros and you know caught people like Nolan Ryan while Ryan was in Houston. And then, of course, he went on to, to be a rookie manager of the year with San Diego and went to four World Series, winning three of them, won three of them with San Francisco, I believe it was, lost one with San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but there were some other great players that, that came through uh, the minor leagues in Dubuque and, and really starting after the Pirates affiliation left, the Dubuque Packers in 1961 became affiliated with the Cleveland Indians from 61 to 1966. And a few uh, well-known names came out of that uh, team as well. And Dubuque has always had a relationship with Cleveland back to Loftus uh, and, and his Western League Columbus Senators that he owned. Uh, the Columbus Senators would combine with the Grand Rapids uh, team in 1899 and move into Cleveland in 1900 and become the Cleveland Indians. Uh, and Tom Loftus managed the Cleveland National League team uh, in 1888 and 1889. Uh, so Cleveland and, and, and Dubuque always had this relationship. Uh, and the Cleveland National League 
League team of the 1800s were actually owned by uh, uh, three brothers who grew up in Dubuque, the Robison brothers, uh, Frank, Stanley, and, and Harold Robison. Harold was born in Dubuque and, and ended up being buried in Dubuque. Uh, but uh, uh, So Cleveland has this rich history with Dubuque baseball, this connection, but in 1961, two very big names came out of the Dubuque Packers that went on uh, 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 to play baseball. One, I think, should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the first person is Tommy uh, Agee, uh, outfielder, 1966 American League Rookie of the Year, uh, and uh, 1969 World Series uh, uh, winner with the Amazing Mets. Uh, he was a two-time Gold Glover and a two-time All-Star. He was a teammate with a pitcher who went 10-4 and for the Dubuque Packers by the name of Tommy John. Both gentlemen started their professional careers, their first professional contracts, with Dubuque Packers in 1961. Of course, Tommy John is most notably uh, famous for the Tommy John surgery, the rotator cuff surgery, uh, and, and for being an Iron Man. Uh, he was a four-time All-Star, uh, has 26 uh, all-time uh, uh, wins, uh, or he's 26 on the all-time win list. 36 Hall of Famers have less wins than Tommy John does, but yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so uh, uh, the Tommy John was, was just one of those uh, uh, great people that came through the Dubuque ranks and ended up having a, an amazing major league career. Uh, in 1962, the Dubuque Packers uh, in the, the uh, uh, Midwest League uh, uh, had company in Dubuque, and they shared their field uh, with the, the Keokuk Dodgers, who left Keokuk because of uh, poor field conditions along the river there in Keokuk. Uh, so the Dodgers uh, mid became the Midwest Dodgers and spent the majority of the 1962 uh, season playing in Dubuque. Uh, so Dubuque hosted two teams in the Midwest League in 1962. And the, the Dubuque Packers, the affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, ended up winning the Midwest League championship in 1962. And I forgot to mention the uh, Dubuque Packers of 1955 ended up winning the, the uh, Midwest Ohio Valley League championship that year as well. John, we've talked about the historic fields and players. What would be some of the memorable games or memorable performances, whether it would be a game performance or a season performance that, that took place here in Dubuque? Uh, the Probably the... The first one that that's of real note would be uh, a series of games that occurred in 1865 uh, at the Dubuque uh, Driving Park and Fairgrounds. A driving park is just a, another name for a horse track. Uh, and the Dubuque Driving Park in the 1860s and 70s was located out at West 32nd and Peru Road there uh, uh, in Central Avenue. Uh, uh, and the, the track itself was right where the old uh, flex steel uh, foundry was uh, and uh, there was a northwest league championship tournament played there 
It was the second regional baseball tournament ever played, the first one occurring a month before in Washington, D.C., called the National Tournament. Uh, Dubuque held one less than a month later uh, called the Northwest Tournament that uh, uh, teams were invited from five or six states. Uh, St. Louis Empires ended up winning the tournament and the uh, gold uh, 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 silver ball uh, uh, and the, the rosewood bat and the $100, which was a lot of money in, in 1865. Uh, and that was hosted by the Julian uh, Baseball Club of Dubuque. Uh, so th- that gained national attention uh, at the time. Uh, we were just coming all the Civil War. Baseball uh, was just starting to really take off as the national game, although it was already recognized as the national game. Uh, and so that was a, a, a famous game. The next famous game that, that put Dubuque on the baseball map early was a game in August of 1879 when the Dubuque Rabbits of the Northwest League played the Chicago White Stockings of the National League. And Cap Anson and and Abner Dalrymple and and all these uh, uh, big names of the 19th century rolled in Dubuque thinking they're going to steamroll the little old Dubuque Rabbits. Uh, And they went up against Hall of Fame pitcher Haas Radburn. Uh, who they, who was an unknown at the time. It was his and Comiskey's first professional baseball contracts and professional seasons. Uh, and Dubuque blanked the White Stockings one to nothing and made national news. Uh, it was so impressive that coach manager, uh, Cap Anson, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, manager of the Chicago White Stockings was still c- carrying a newspaper clipping in the box scores, handwritten box scores from that ball game in 1912 when he was on the vaudeville lecture circuit talking about the golden age of baseball. Uh, and, and he was in Dubuque and he pulled it out of his trunk to show, uh, the reporter. That's how big of a game it was. It impressed Cap Anson uh, that he carried the box score with him in his scrapbook the rest of his life. Uh, so that was a big game. Uh, obviously big seasons, uh, Deacon Jones, uh, season in 1956 hitting over 400, uh, uh, you know, was a, a national news. And uh, later in the season when he maintained above 400, you know, there was a national watch to see, you know, uh, could he do it? Uh, so that was pretty big. Uh, 1923 uh, uh, was a, a really big season as well. Dubuque had just gotten professional baseball back after a hiatus uh, of five years. And uh, uh, the Woodward family of the Telegraph Herald fame, uh, some of their descendants uh, were really big supporters of baseball, always have been. Uh, and they convinced Joe McGinty, uh, the retired uh, a future Hall of Fame pitcher of the New York Giants to buy the Dubuque baseball team, semi-pro team, and take it pro and take it uh, into the uh, uh, Mississippi Valley League. And so McGinty bought the Dubuque uh, club. Uh, they were named the Dubuque Climbers. And that year, uh, McGinty, uh, in his 50s, pitched for the Dubuque Climbers uh, and ended up having a winning season, and they ended up winning the, the championship that season of uh, the, the Mississippi Valley League. 
And so because it was McGinty, he was a, 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 an established World Series Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, uh, it was national news, so the Dubuque team was followed all season long. Uh, McGinty was off the next year, but he did play in 1925 for Dubuque. They were called the Ironmen that year after McGinty, which was his nickname. Uh, so that was a, a really big uh, uh, season for, for Dubuque. Uh, because of Joe McGinty and his his time in Dubuque. Uh, and a, a few people that decade and, and out of that Mississippi Valley League, even though the team name changed every year, it seemed, a couple other big names came out of that team. The 1927 uh, Dubuque Dubs, uh, Mel Harder played on. Uh, and Mel Harder was a pitcher, a four-time All-Star who pitched with Bob Feller on the Cleveland Indians. Uh, and so uh, he started uh, and played in Dubuque, and so did uh, Hal Trotsky uh, in 1931, who was a first baseman, had a lifelong uh, batting average of 302, uh, and uh, he ended up playing for the Dubuque Tigers uh, in 1931 of the Mississippi uh, Valley League. And, of course, Trotsky played with Feller uh, uh, and Mel Harder and Satchel Page when Page was on uh, 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 the Cleveland Indians in 48 and 49. Uh, so so uh, uh, Paige actually also played a game in Dubuque uh, down on 4th Street uh, in 1951 for the Chicago American Giants, an all-Negro league team that barnstormed in the United States. Uh, and this was after he played in the major leagues for Cleveland, but it was just a couple weeks before he went to play for the St. Louis Browns in the major leagues. Uh, he pitched a game in Dubuque. Uh, so, uh, uh, and he had played with uh, Mel Harder and, and Trotsky uh, 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 there in Cleveland. John, the first time I heard you speak, a lot of these names stood out to me. So to put it in pop culture reference, when Mr. Burns of the Simpsons was putting together his Riggs softball team to win the, the league softball tournament, he had a lot of these older guys that you are mentioning on his team. And then his um, assistant had to tell him that all those players were dead. So they had to go get guys of the likes of Daryl Strawberry, Ken Griffey Jr., Wade Boggs, Jose Canseco, many of them who have appeared in Dubuque at the Field of Dreams, which we'll get to in a little bit here. You did mention the Dubuque Tigers, and we did have an audience question come in from Dubuque County Sports on Twitter, and he wanted to know two things. What do you know about the Dubuque Tigers? And then also he said that there's been some rumors going around for quite some time that when Shoeless Joe Jackson got banned from Major League Baseball that he would often play in Dubuque. So what can you tell us about the Dubuque Tigers, and then can you put to rest any of those rumors about Shoeless Joe Jackson? Sure. Uh, the Dubuque Tigers were first, a, a, that name appeared periodically in the 1890s and throughout the 1900s uh, in Dubuque. Uh, I played for the Trinity Tigers at one time. Uh, Harry Leitner, Kevin Romberg, I know, played for the Trinity Tigers as well. But in the uh, uh, 1909 time frame, uh, there was a Dubuque Tigers semi-pro team uh, that, that uh, was in Dubuque. Uh, they traditionally played out at 
the old uh, uh, ballpark, uh, which would be where uh, the old Melody Mills was, which is now uh, the corner of uh, uh, Highway 52 or Sageville Road and the Northwest Arterial, John Deere Road right there. Uh, uh, oh, by Pepsi Cola Bottling Company. Uh, and on that team played Red Faber uh, uh, for a, a year or two. Uh, actually, in 1909, uh, 1910, Red would play for uh, uh, the professional team in the 3I League, uh, the Dubuque Dubs. He would also pitch periodically for the St. Joseph College team, which is Loris College today. And then he'd also pitch for the Dubuque Tigers semi-pro team all in the same year, you know, sometime in the same week, just because he loved baseball and nothing prohibited it. Uh, but the, the Dubuque Tigers were semi-pro for several years. Then uh, in uh, the late 1920s, uh, as part of that Mississippi Valley League, uh, uh, as part of the name change throughout that uh, uh, about 10-year period, the, the last name they went by was the Dubuque Tigers. But during that 10-year period, they were the Climbers, the Ironmen, the Speesmen, the Dubuque Dubs, and the Tigers. Uh, so uh, uh, professionally, the, the Tigers only played in that time frame of 19, uh, uh, probably 27, 28, 29 to 32 time frame. And you had referenced prior that Dubuque had baseball for quite some time, but it seemed that they had a different name every year or, or every couple of years. And, and how about Shoeless Joe? What have you um, come across in your research? Has he ever played any um, games in Dubuque? Uh, Shoeless Joe indeed played a baseball game on a Dubuque, Iowa baseball field 70-plus years before he was on Ray Kinsella's field in western Dubuque County. Uh, Charlie Comiskey brought his Chicago White Sox to his adoptive hometown of Dubuque, Iowa for exhibition games in 1914, 1915, and 1916. In 1914 and 1915, uh, the, the White Sox played the local Dubuque 3I professional minor league club. In 1916, the White Sox played Red Faber's alma mater, St. Joseph's College. Uh, so during those three years and those three exhibition games in Dubuque, four of the eight Black Sox actually played games uh, in Dubuque at 4th Street, uh, which was known as Athletic Field or Municipal Field or better known as Petrakis Park. Uh, uh, and that's where the Dubuque Packers played. And so uh, uh, Buck Weaver played here in 1914 and 1915 and was a big hit with the kids, uh, uh, what they called the midgets uh, around Dubuque, but they were, they were the children. Uh, Eddie Collins, Hall of Famer, played uh, uh, in all three exhibition games in 1914, 15, and 16. Happy Felch, who was part of the Black Sox and was banned from baseball, played in, here in 1915. Ray Schalk, a Hall of Famer, uh, who replaced, uh, who was catcher on the Chicago White Sox and always claimed that if Red Faber was not sick with the Spanish flu in 1919 during the World Series, there would have never been a Black Sox scandal. Uh, he played here in 1915. 
Uh, Fred McMullen played here in 1916. He was a Black Sox uh, band from baseball. And Shoeless Joe Jackson played here in 1916 as well. Uh, Shoeless Joe went three for five here in Dubuque. Uh, uh, batting, uh, facing off with the uh, 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 the shot tower in the background, just like it uh, uh, was for the Dubuque Packers in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, and uh, uh, went up against Red Faber, who pitched for his alma mater. So Red was the only uh, a Chicago White Sox uh, who actually played for the uh, opposing team. Uh, I do not know that Joe Jackson played here after 1920 uh, on any visiting teams. There was always rumors that he played under an, an alias in Southern Leagues. Uh, but I'm not aware that he ever played in Dubuque under an alias or under his own name outside of that one known confirmed game uh, here in Dubuque in 1916. John, you made a great segue in your previous answer. We can't talk about the history of Dubuque baseball and, and not talk about Field of Dreams. Now, the Field of Dreams was a popular movie starring Kevin Costner. People travel from all over the world to visit the Field of Dreams. And you made a joke off camera about the big game coming up that you or I will not be able to go to. So what can you tell us about Field of Dreams that not the average person from Dubuque County would know? Some of its some of its history, some of the famous players that have come by, some of the events that that take place, and maybe uh, some of your favorite moments or favorite memories that have taken place out at the Field of Dreams. Sure. Well, first off, I, I remember uh, the year that the Field of Dreams w- was filmed here in Dubuque, uh, and I remember the drought we had. Uh, I distinctly distinctly remember it because it was the year I started skydiving. Uh, and so we didn't have any rain that year. Uh, and so uh, uh, corn became a, a huge problem because, you know, knee high by the 4th of July did not exist in 1988 in, in the tri-state area because the corn wasn't growing at all. And so the the production crew had a very short window to film uh, in the Dubuque area and out in Dyersville because uh, other actors had other contracts they had to honor uh, and could only be here for so long. So it was a very short window and they couldn't wait for the, the corn to grow so they had to uh, actually uh, 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 irrigate to grow the corn and they actually bought thousands of stock of fake corn just in case the corn did not grow and they had to shoot the scenes thank goodness they never did have to use that but they overwatered the corn so much it grew so high that Kevin Costner had to stand on platforms in the cornfield just so his head was as tall as the corn or a little bit of above it. Uh, And because there was so much water, the corn never actually produced corn ears. Uh, You don't uh, notice it in the movie, but it's just the corn stock. You don't have any ears of corn on it. Uh, So, so, uh, you know, that was an auspicious start to what turned out to be just an an excellent movie. I know a variety of people uh, who were extras that have stories to tell. Uh, A dear friend of mine who taught me to skydive that year in 1988, a local dentist. Uh, 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 I'm going to use his name here. I hope you don't mind. Hyo Jarks and his partner. Uh, they were uh, 
uh, uh, uh, utilizing their private property for a, a film crew and cast party that the production crew wanted to, to throw. They were looking for a place, so they ended up using uh, Doc Jarks and his, his partner's place. Uh, and they had a big uh, roast and were playing games and just, you know, unwinding, you know, from production and all the long days. Uh, and during the meal, uh, James Earl Jones ended up cracking one of his teeth. Uh, and that day, Doc Jarks took him into the office and crowned James Earl Jones or Darth Vader's tooth uh, here in Dubuque uh, so, so uh, uh, Jones could go on and finish filming the movie. Uh, so that's, you know, one of the little known stories. Uh, you also look at Kevin Costner. Uh, uh, while he was here filming, uh, first off, he was not the first choice to be Ray Kinsella because he just filmed Bull Durham, another baseball movie, and they didn't think he would want to do it. So the the screenwriter and producers were thinking maybe Tom Hanks. Uh, but they ended up offering it to Kevin Costner, and he accepted. And while he was here, uh, pretty much the entire time, whether he was in the uh, house they were staying at in Galena, territories during filming or in the trailers out in Dyersville or here in Dubuque at the the warehouse they were doing a lot of filming at Costner and his business partner were writing uh, Dances with Wolves so Dances with Wolves was largely written in the tri-state area and would of course go on to be an epic film for Costner Uh, another individual uh, who was not necessarily thought of in the role and initially turned it down was Burt Lancaster. Originally, the the screenwriter always envisioned Jimmy Stewart as being Moonlight Graham. So just thinking about that, think about Tom Hanks and Jimmy Stewart as Ray Kinsella and Doc Graham versus these iconic figures of Kevin Costner and Burt Lancaster and the performance they put in. I mean, the, the part that always chokes me up and I always cry in Field of Dreams, and there's a couple movies choke me or, or parts choke me up, but one part that makes me cry is when Burt Lancaster has to cross the line and lose his dream and he can't go back, but he still does it for the sake of the child because there's more important things in life than sports. Uh, and, and so that always gets me and I cannot see, although I love Jimmy Stewart, Stewart carrying that scene the way Burt Lancaster did. I agree with you 100%. And my favorite movie of all time is Forrest Gump. And I love Tom Hanks, except when his co-star is a volleyball. But I can't picture Tom Hanks in The Field of Dreams. I I just can't do it. And people that are into filming locations, uh, Galena was used for the Moonlight Graham scenes. And then also downtown Dubuque served as a stand-in for for Boston as well. You'll see some of those... um, those early images of, of Boston taking place in, in early time Dubuque. Before we hit into that podcast killing double play, John, thank you for being a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I truly appreciate it. Where can we find your work? I believe you wrote a book. Um, where can we locate that? At? And if we want to follow up on some of these articles that you've written or you've shared stories from, where can we do that? 
Sure. I'm just currently in the process of, of starting a book on uh, Dubuque's baseball history and legacy. Uh, so that's in the works. Uh, I've been writing short stories uh, and, and some articles uh, in preparation for that book. Uh, a couple of them are going through the baseball research uh, a journal, which is a peer-reviewed and fact-checked uh, uh, a journal. And so it's it's very uh, a much top shelf as far as the standard and the quality and the validation of, of what historians are trying to say or, or, or put across. Uh, and it is sponsored by the Society uh, for American Baseball Research, which was created by the National Baseball Hall of Fame back in the 1970s. Uh, so if you go to saber.org uh, and search either my name, John Pregler, or Tom Loftus. You'll find my article on Tom Loftus, uh, the American League's Forgotten Founding Father. I have a second article I'm just submitting here in the next couple days uh, that's just going through the tail end of a fact check, uh, which is on the legacy the minor league legacy of the American League. So it's all the minor leagues that led up to the American League uh, and how that started in Dubuque with the 1879 Western League that Ted Sullivan created and how Ted Sullivan, Tom Loftus, and Charlie Comiskey and their efforts of building baseball leagues for over 20 years resulted in the American League. Uh, so I hope to have that published this fall. I also publish some of my articles and short stories on baseball and other historical research on my website, thelensofhistory.com. So it's all one word, the lens, L-E-N-S, of history.com. Uh, so you can see stories there about Red Faber and Babe Ruth uh, or, or the article about the baseball uh, park here in Dubuque and that image and the correction of its location uh, and, and stories like that. John Pregler, we'll make sure we go and check those out and we'll look for your upcoming book. Go back and read some of those articles and look for new articles that are coming out. Thanks again for being the guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, 643. We're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.